There's such a dark irony to both The Matrix and Fight Club being used for evil in their iconography, yeah. like obviously the red pill in The Matrix and the snowflake and just sort of Fight Club. General, general Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden. Oh my God. They all the wanted to be Tyler Durden. Everyone wanted to be Tyler Durden. And like, it's one of those things where the movie, like The Matrix, was a little too successful at making them look mm-hmm. cool. Tyler Durden looks cool. You hire Brad Pitt and you get Brad Pitt. Yep. Just being cool as shit. He is so Wearing a cool. red leather jacket you know, and his you, cool he sunglasses. Has the, he has the cum gutters. I mean, he's looking, he's just looking cut as fuck. So it's, I am disappointed, but I get it. Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwind. And I'm Steve Parkhurst. And we're here with the second of our Something is Wrong movies of 1999. I feel like we didn't really talk about this when we talked about The Matrix, but we're going to get into it here and now with Fight Club. Just right away. Just huh? right we're away. Just no, no. Right in. <laughs> what, okay, what do we mean when we talk about a Something is Wrong movie? There are four movies in this uh, little sort of mini, mini moment. Genre? It's not even a genre. It's just yeah. like a moment. They all came out in 1999. It's something I've thought about for years now, actually. Mm-hmm. Fight Club, The Matrix, mm-hmm. American Beauty, Mm -hmm. and Office Space. Mm -hmm. And they all share uh, surprising themes Mm -hmm. uh, that I think, I mean, I know we will get into, but I feel like before we do, there's so much to talk about in this particular episode. There sure is. Well, okay, when did you see Fight Club for the first time? I have a very specific memory of this. So in this instance, I think it's interesting that our roles are kind of reversed from the normal. I feel like every time I'm like, I had this on VHS, I watched it a million million times. I remember the first time I saw it. And Fight Club, I really think I saw like once or twice ever. That's so interesting to me because this movie is aimed like directly at you. Yeah. Specifically. I think I was too much of a soft sad boy. And in that moment, this is another thing that we'll get into about how people just wildly misinterpreted this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Myself included. The good thing is that instead of starting a fight club like so many of my high school buddies <laughs> did, I was too artsy and sad. You were you were a, a drama boy, I was, a, a drama nerd. I was a little drama boy, and I, I didn't want to start a fight club. I didn't want you to You wanted to sing about it. Well, I didn't want to sing. I knew I couldn't oh, you sing. Wanted I to, just sorry, wanted you to wanted to like, death of a salesman it. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be a little Willie Loman. So Tyler Durden just didn't appeal to me. And I think because he appealed to so many of my cohorts. Uh, who were just little shitheads. Who were just little 16-year-old shitheads yeah. like me. I sort of almost rebelled against the very concept of this movie as it was interpreted by my friends mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. schoolmates. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did see it. And I I liked it, but I, it just never it just never uh, gripped onto me like some of the. It other didn't movies. become your entire personality. And boy, did it become a lot of people's entire personalities. It sure for a did, while. and it's really easy to see why this is such an incredibly well made movie. Surprise, surprise! David Fincher knows how to make a good movie. <laughs> you know, I've got a good feeling about that guy. I think he's going to go places. That there's, David Fincher. There's some of these 
scenes where you're like, I hope they didn't do this 30 times. Jesus Christ. That's actually a good question. Yeah. I mean, some of it, I don't think you could. No. Uh, but then I'm sure there's a lot of it where there were very, very many takes. The first time I saw this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was in my AP US history class. <laughs> Wow. We had the AP US history exam had taken place, but we still had like a few weeks left of class. Sure. Like school was not over. So we just watched movies. And I don't know how, like, God bless Mrs. Boutremus. Uh, <laughs> she fucking ruled. She, I, I hope she's doing well. I hope she's still alive. Um, Probably. She was amazing. Uh, she had us read, a, you know, a people's history for Ooh. summer reading Ooh. and everything. Wow. For whatever reason, she allowed one of the boys in class. This was also how I saw Donnie Darko. Damn. Yeah, it was like a beautiful two-week period. Uh, but I remember seeing this and like being like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's so fucking, that's so cool. That's so cool, everyone. And I like bought it on DVD, I, which I still have. I had the, I can't remember if it was like a two-disc. I think that was Moulin Rouge, but there were... There. Often confused, <laughs> those two films. Look, um, but I had it on DVD. I bought it and um, like listened to the like the commentary track. Which, which I don't think I've ever listened to. And I went through a big commentary track phase. It's genuinely great. Or, okay, caveat. I haven't listened to it since probably college. So like it's been a while. But I remember listening to it. It's Fincher and Norton and Pitt and they're all having like a fucking blast. They're just shooting the shit. They're talking like... Dudes rock. Dudes rock. It was, it was great. Just the um, boys just hanging out. I eventually went and bought the book and read the book. I did uh, read the book. That, which I went through a Palinic good. phase. Me too. But I only got like two and a half books in though. Ooh, I think I got like four. I think I did four oh, books. wow. Yeah. I think I did. It was like Fight Club, Choke. I'm pretty sure I read Choke. Yeah, I did too. I think I like started reading another one and it had kind of worn thin <laughs> by that The shtick does time. kind of wear thin. I, I read Fight Club, Choke, Invisible Monsters, Snuff, and I think there was another one, Lullaby. I think I read Lullaby. Mm. It's kind of funny. Like I was thinking about uh, Mars Attacks, which we both liked, but we kind of struggled to have... talk too deeply about yeah, it. It's I just think. like this is kind of a weird movie. I think because it's all text. <laughs> yeah, there's no real subtlety. It's just like, what if some weird shit happened, and then it does, and then the movie's over, uh, and that's that's kind of it. And this one is just like themes upon themes, and themes commenting on mm -hmm. themes. And is this actually the theme, or is it a Trojan horse for a deeper theme? It's like, holy fucking shit, you could do a whole film course on this one movie. You totally could. It's very easy to read into whatever you want with this movie. Like, yep. it's hard to know exactly what is intentional, what is a byproduct of its time, mm -hmm. what is, like, what's pulled over from Palniuk's original text, what Fincher is adding, because I think Fincher adds a lot. This yeah. works as a good a little, before we get into the Something is Wrong yes. series, uh, another little thing I've thought a lot about is how David Fincher is really skilled at turning pulp into prestige. Yeah, Absolutely. That is, that, that's his bread and butter. It really is. Uh, and like the most obvious movies that do this are Gone Girl, yeah. uh, The Social Network. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Definitely that. And to lesser extent, like Zodiac, because uh, that is just sort of a true crime pulpy kind mm -hmm. of story. That could easily be like utterly sensationalized. Sensationalized and schlocky and, and kind of exploitative. Yeah. And it's, I 
was actually thinking about watching it again the other day. It's just a good one to have on. Oh yeah, Zodiac. Oh, it's it's a weird comfort movie. Yeah. Venture. Not only are these do these movies have let's call them the like the veneer prestige. Like they do get awards and lots of critical praise, and they're very 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 good movies. I do think he elevates the material in a lot of cases, but I also like understand that. What I think is prestige, what we think is prestige, is maybe pretentious to other people or something. like. His movies do kind of fit into this narrow subsection that's getting narrower, where it is prestigious and maybe a little snooty, but it's also still kind of populist. It's accessible to the broader yes. public. This isn't like Holy Mountain or something, where it's just completely inaccessible and I've just never weird even heard of this for movie. weirdness sake. I saw it uh, when I went through a, a phase. <laughs> Uh, and it's good, but it is just like those kinds of movies that were in the cult section of the local mm, video store. Sure. And Fincher doesn't make those. No. Like his movies are for the They're broader They're big public, movies, yeah. But he is still able to elevate something like Gone Girl, which is, you know, a pulp airport read, yeah. really. And it looks like it should win some Oscars. Like, yeah. And rewatching Fight Club, something I didn't really notice at the time is just how well shot it is. And it that looks amazing. That seems like a no brainer now, knowing it's Fincher, but just the level of control that he has in the framing of his mm-hmm. shots and in the editing. Amazing editing in this movie. Truly terrific editing. Uh, and and the lighting of his shots. Like, something that, you know, we complain about a lot today is just how sort of dark and dull and gray movies are and how hard it is to actually see what's happening. And this movie takes place mostly at night. I don't know, probably like 60, 65% at night. Yeah. And it's dark. But you can see everything. You see everything that he wants you to see. Right. Yeah, it's motivated in a way that, like, he guides your eye. It's you're even with the kind of faster cutting style that this movie has, mm-hmm. you're never lost in, no. in like the space of the scene. No. Who's talking? You just feel like you're being taken along by a skilled craftsman mm-hmm. who knows what they're doing. Yeah. The timing on a lot of these cuts is like you can tell that Fincher does have a great comedic sensibility because it, the cuts on some of these scenes is just so comedic and timed so perfectly with the voiceover. And I feel like I've seen some instances recently of voiceover that just, they aren't timing things properly, which feels really basic. Speaking of comedic timing, the final fight scene between Brad Pitt and Ed Norton, not even really a fight scene, Ed Norton gets his ass kicked. Yeah. It's a really funny little sequence. Yeah. Like, it's, it's hilarious. Like, both of their performances, the cutting, just like what he's getting thrown through and, and bashed <laughs> against. And, and then the cuts to the the monitors, the security yeah. camera monitors, that's what really sells it. That's the in into the scene because, like, of course we want to see Brad Pitt and Ed Norton fighting, but, like, we need the reminder, like, this is insane. The action in this is... It's funny, I don't think of this as an action movie. Right. Even though there is, like, a fair amount... There's, like, lots of you know, fights, lots of stunt choreography and plenty of sequences happening. And yet I don't think of it as an action movie. And I think it's because a lot of it is comedic and it's, and a lot of it is so purposeful. I think I've been traumatized. (laughs) No, I think I've been like beaten down by lots and lots of action movies and TV series that have very heavy action in them where the fights are just completely divorced from 
what's actually happening in the scene. Like they either go on too long or they aren't resolving the tension that they're supposed to be resolving. And here, like you don't get any of that. Like, everything is there. Like, it is so purposeful. It serves a purpose. Like, the the actions that these characters take, even in a fight, in an action mm-hmm. scene, it is to further the story or the character mm-hmm. development or whatever. And, like, they act within, like, the realm of who they are. Like, yeah. Ed Norton is kind of a, a messy, lanky, goofy fighter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Brad Pitt is very cool and calm and collected and just has his shit together. Really even sharp. Really sharp yeah. and also looks amazing even when he's getting his ass kicked it doesn't seem to bother him because that's the version of himself that you know ed norton the narrator Mm -hmm. wants so yeah it's like fight scenes and action scenes that serve a purpose and nowadays it's just like well we need uh, an action scene here because that's where action scenes go yeah algorithmically we've determined that people expect a fight scene at this point right and so we give it to them and it's you know competent enough it, yeah. it goes through the motions, and then you're on to the next thing, and nobody is actually bloodied, and nobody is actually no, yeah, no one's beat up. hurt. Like, yeah. and also the editing in a lot of modern fights, I think because there are so many limitations on the physical day of shooting, yeah. like you're shooting around a lot in a lot of blockbusters these days, yeah. and I think that that is very much affecting the editing. There are so many movies, everything, everywhere, all at once is. A good example of great editing and amazing fights that all serve a purpose and are really fun. But a lot of other movies, I have a really hard time following the action, which is kind of criminal. (laughs) Well, and so recently you and I were rewatching Every Frame of Painting. Oh, yeah. Which, God, I wish he was still doing those YouTube videos. He does a video about Jackie Chan and how Jackie Chan does physical comedy and fights Mm -hmm. in general. And I think one of the bigger takeaways from that is that he orients the viewer in the action by adding frames. Yes. Uh, It's better to say by repeating frames. Yeah, doubling up. Doubling up. So you see somebody get punched and then you cut to the reaction and you kind of see him get punched again. Yeah. But it happens so quickly. It's only a few frames. Yeah. So even though, even though your brain doesn't recognize that you're watching this thing twice, the effect is that you really see and feel the punch Mm -hmm. and it feels like it landed in a way where if you go and watch the edit of most action scenes and how they cut around a punch, it's the opposite. Like they remove frames. And so the fist is headed towards the face and before it actually connects we're cutting to the next shot and the face is already on its way back from the connection Mm -hmm. the supposed Mm -hmm. connection and kind of bouncing away and so it just feels less impactful literally this movie as far as i can tell doesn't do that but also it yeah it's just impactful in how the scenes how Mm -hmm. the action scenes are actually filmed yeah like you feel all of it and it's all motivated it Mm -hmm. all ties in the editing the lighting like uh, their performances it all is just really well hung together like it all just is it's a well hung it's a well hung movie like the the man whose penis we see oh yeah yeah, good for him. Good for him. Be interesting to know if that actually came from a real like porn, porn. or if they actually got got a guy got a guy's dick. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember if that's in the commentary track. We gotta rewatch. We gotta. That. Yeah, we, we should watch that. In hindsight, this. that's okay. I was like pointing out a bunch of the stuff 
that I mm. remember from the commentary track. I gotta, I gotta listen to that. I'm, I'm getting back into commentary tracks. That's, that's what I'm. That doing was, now. it was really fun. Yeah, I used to love them. Speaking of well hung, uh, <laughs> let's so talk about men. 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 What, what, what what's is, the deal? What What is men? What's their whole thing about? This movie is about men and what it it means to be a man in these times. Pardon my uh, use of the term, but it's sort of about toxic masculinity. It is, though. That's baked into the premise of the book, and it's here in spades in the movie. I mean, for crying out loud, you see this very prominent remaining men together, the name of the support group that Ed Norton meets Meatloaf at. Ah, uh, meatloaf. R.I.P. Yeah, I know he was a big weirdo uh, and bad politics and all that, but uh, he's very good in this movie. He's good in this movie, and I can't help but love him. And uh, he was like the first recording artist I got into as a kid because I was a weird fucking kid. That's so really wanted. To really me. wanted my mom to take me to a meatloaf concert oh, when he when he oh dear uh, came to like Portland or something. But uh, yeah, so meatloaf. He's he was great. R.I.P. to the big man. And he's great in this. He's genuinely great in this. Yeah, you know who's also good in this? Jared Leto because. He doesn't have much to do. He doesn't do, do much yeah. except get his pretty little face bashed it's in. caved right the fuck in and it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah, we love to see it. His name is actually Angel Face in the yeah. credits. That's fun. The masculinity and what it means to be a man. And it was funny thinking about all the dipshits I knew in high school who started fight clubs because they just saw the text mm-hmm. and weren't capable of, of reading any of the subtext of yeah. this movie. Which, which is not is, necessarily their fault it if isn't. you're a kid. Like, it isn't their fault. That is true but it's it is also funny in in retrospect because like the point of this is that the fight club is bad right what i found interesting was that ed norton kind of almost solves his problem in the first reel yeah that's okay that's definitely something i i wanted to talk about because yeah. ed norton is a very good actor i hear he's kind of a dick but oh, yeah, like but he's a really fantastic sure. fantastic he's a really fantastic <laughs> He's a very, he's a fantastic actor because you can see like, so in the beginning of the movie, he goes to the support groups and you can see the like contentment on his face. Like after he first cries into, into meatloaf's titties, (laughs) (laughs) you see this, like he's finding this community, this catharsis and he looks like at peace. And then if you watch his face after he meets Tyler Durden and starts the fight clubs and everything. It just, it's nasty. Like, he's always got a sneer on his face. Like, he does not look happy at right. any point. Right. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people kind of miss. It's an easy thing to miss sure. because there's a lot going on. You could almost have your own little indie film about a guy who goes yeah. to all these meetings. Um, an and, actual misery tourist. Yeah, and actually learns to love himself and then meets this other woman who's doing the same thing. That's mm-hmm. the, that's kind of the big conflict. But then learns, they learn learn to love each other and they find what they need in each other. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually a good little like actually Sundance yeah. indie film from 2014 that Shit. just absolutely crushes Starring it. Jenny Slate. Oh boy. Probably. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Oh, she'd be really good. So anyway, that could be its own movie. Yeah. And this whole arc happens in like the first 20 minutes mm-hmm. where he's able to solve that hole in his life mm-hmm. by just finding connection and being open and vulnerable with other men. I think it's interesting that all the men he meets are literally without balls. Yeah. And so much of this movie is about kind of what it means to be a man mm-hmm. and you have to have balls. You yep. have to be... You we'll know. take your balls from you yeah. if you're not using them properly. It kind of, exactly. It kind of, it's, it's a through line and like these men are showing that like, no, you don't actually need 
testicles, physical balls, yeah. to be a man, to be a whole person. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you need connection to each other. Exactly. You need relationships. The, the problems that a lot of the men have in the group, or at least like the big one that we see, is like the man whose wife left him to have children with another man. And like, that's society man <laughs> like but like you know they're not less of a man because they're missing their testicles and they have this lovely community but like the outside world the outside society just does not get it and right. will not let them live authentically as men and like that is sad yeah and so when Marla comes in and sort of uh, exposes his own artifice, I think mm-hmm. you made this point, yeah. which is really good, is that he can no longer be authentic. He's kind of caught out in his own lie. And what he should be doing is be with Marla and they need to work this out connect together. Connect authentically. They need to connect authentically and get what they're getting from these support groups with each other. Yeah. Like that's the story there. But he is so fundamentally incapable, incapable. of doing Doing that, mm-hmm. that instead he invents Tyler an Durden entirely different persona, which is amazing to be with her to fuck her. Yeah, in uh, the way that he thinks that she, he sh- that she wants that he should be right, and he he needs to be Brad Pitt. Yeah, I really like, and this is something that I didn't think of until we watched it just now. And like, I hadn't seen this movie in I don't know, probably ten years. I want to say, you know, Marla is this intrusion of the feminine into these into this traditionally masculine space, which is kind of like a metonym for equality in the workplace and society. Like, you don't have to read this into it uh, at it all. But it, it is kind of interesting that, like, she is this, like, disruptive force. And he's like, no, no, this is for men. You can't be here. And, like, he is correct on on one level, like, right. for sure. But that is interesting to me and and kind of speaks to that something is wrong, like, sort of thing. You see Ed Norton, and you, we don't really learn what he does until, like, at least 20 minutes into the movie, roundabouts. Before then, it's like, you see him through the groups, and you see him through, like, the consumerism. Yeah, the Ikea catalog. And, like, there were a lot of people in the 90s in America were realizing, oh, consumerism kind of sucks. This feels hollow. So I guess that's a pretty good place to to go into the something is wrong theory of everything. Yeah. (laughs) And like these four movies attempted to tackle this with varying levels of success. Yeah. Uh, And I think for Fight Club, especially upon rewatch, I think it might be the most successful, but conversely, the most misinterpreted. Yes, Although I think maybe you're right. the Matrix tops that. Neck and neck for They're, misinterpretation. But yeah. I, I do actually think that Fight Club is, in the end, a more effective... It proposes a slightly more effective solution, yeah. I want to say, or it, it gestures better at a solution than the first Matrix movie. So basically, Fight Club, I think one reason it was so misinterpreted by myself, by other people my age, and by people who should have maybe known better, (laughs) is that it presents this very easy Trojan horse of just a basic critique of of consumerism Mm -hmm. and capitalism. You hate your job, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, it sucks. You hate, you know, just filling your shitty condo with Ikea furniture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bummer. So it's like, it's an easy in. And then Tyler Durden shows up and it's Brad Pitt in the late 90s, like peak Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. And he's so fucking cool. He's so badass. He makes soap. He lives in a shithole. Like, he fucks real good. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't give a shit about anything. Mm-hmm. Like, he is sort of the id that we all aspired to. That we all wanted to see ourselves as. It's yeah. just like the sort of devil may care rock mm-hmm. star Gen X if they'd done things right yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And so it makes sense why people would kind of leave it at that. Like, oh yeah, Brad Pitt's the hero. Tyler Durden is cool as shit. He's right. He's right. Consumerism sucks. I'd rather live in a dilapidated shithole, you know, on the outskirts of town than some gross condo. Mm-hmm. And then kind of never went further in exploring like... Why actually Tyler Durden isn't? Yeah. Why does right. the Why does the text reject his framing at the end? Yeah, and I think it's because it gets a little more nitty gritty, where it's just like his assessment is correct. Like he is able to correctly identify some root problems, mm-hmm. but his solution is deeply incorrect mm-hmm. and a lot of people never got to that of like right. oh no this isn't the way to do right this. like oh if you really lean into toxic masculinity it does become a cult that strips you of your humanity right so much of tyler's speeches he's got a couple of them yeah. so much of them like ring really true like there is this sense of purposelessness among men, and I get it, you know, we have spent decades now in America, particularly among white men, just atomizing society. And white men have, they don't have much to hold on to. They don't have as much that binds them now, except race, which is kind of why you see a lot of white supremacy these days is like human beings, I think, instinctively want to dedicate themselves to a higher purpose and be part of a larger group. But American individualism has completely robbed them of, of their ability to do that. And I, and I think that's how you get this toxic stew. So all four of these movies are focused around white men. And yeah. part of that is just the product of the times. All movies in the 90s were focused on Basically. white mer- the vast Minus majority. Blade, baby. Minus Blade. Hell yeah. And yeah obviously there are uh, exceptions, but... For the most part, that's the case. Yeah. And I think it's a product of its time, and Fight Club is very white. There mm-hmm. are only a few people of color who just sort of who exist act- in the periphery. Yeah, they're in the background, and they are part of, like, Project Mayhem. And this, yeah, yeah we're not, I'm, I, in particular, I'm not trying to say that, like, only white men felt disaffected in this period of time. No. But I do think uh, white men have been a weird sort of victim of their own success in Mm. that, like, it's white men. And when I say there, I mean our because I am a white man. (laughs) But, like, our culture has been the dominant um, culture in America for a very long time. And we've held on to it with an iron grip. (laughs) Basically. Uh, And... What is our culture? Well, it's individualism. It's the mm-hmm. cowboy. Yep. And so we have all bought into the mythos that we are the individual cowboy who can do it on his own mm-hmm. and who needs to have the huge house and the giant pickup truck. Yep. And, you know, those need to be symbols of our masculinity. And we don't need friends. We, you know, we don't need friends. We don't need women. We like, don't need women. We're a generation of men raised by women. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's I'm I starting think, to wonder if. 
uh, another woman's really the, the, solution the solution here. Yeah, the fact that Tyler says that, I think uh, that's another thing that people misinterpreted. Like, no, that he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. You, like, the end of the movie is like, oh, he puts aside Tyler Durden to embark on hopefully a, a nice relationship with Marla. <laughs> right. Uh, so as we have kind of self-atomized by buying into our own culture, mm-hmm. we have ended up being exceedingly isolated. Yeah. And that's, again, not to say that that doesn't happen for other people, people of color, men, right. men of color, because it's inevitable that whatever the dominant sort of culture is, mm-hmm. other people are going to buy into yeah. that and take part in that. Yeah. And it has happened to other people, but it feels very much like we as white men are, you know, we are the perpetrators and the victims. Yeah. In, in this way uh, that, like, I think Fight Club really managed to nail. So it's one of those few movies where it's just like, yeah, the I'm majority okay should be white. It should be white men. Yes, it is. It in is. In this case. Very, dis- like, very particularly about this breed of resentment. A lot of the talking points, like the, the nihilism of Tyler Durden and his formation of the, the cult right. <laughs> is both like, there's a lot of toxic masculinity in it. There's a lot of cults preying on vulnerable people who are looking to dedicate themselves to something bigger than themselves. And there's nothing else that they can, but there's also, you know, a little bit of fascism there too. Like there's definitely some, there's like, a lot of that rhetoric in there. Tyler Durden is a strong man. Yeah. Like uh, he, they devote themselves to yeah. him and it ends up getting away from him. Yep. You know, from it's it's the cult of action for action's sake, which is very much part of the fascist ethos. The second episode in a row where we're getting into fascism. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I, I think about it a lot these days. Sure. Why? Um, why? I can't imagine. Mm. I can't imagine why. It is interesting. Speaking of the nihilism, like Tyler's whole thing is getting you to let go of all your notions of what your life should be that have been pushed on you by a society that like is ruinous and decayed and garbage but that is that is actually the opposite of what these people need to do is and and ed norton in particular is like don't let go actually no do like take I don't want a white man control of the, but, but, but but like do take control, do like participate. And I mean, don't let Marla into the testicular cancer group, but like. She shouldn't be there, but like you guys should work on this together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be a part of just community, Mm -hmm. like basically like. It is interesting, like the catharsis that he finds in these groups, he still holds himself apart and it's because he's not authentically joining the community. If he had sort of authentically joined a real community, like I I think. All this could have been avoided. You know? And so when I say like Fight Club is probably the most successful of the four movies in terms of highlighting, uh, recognizing, and having something to say about this general rot of kind of late 90s white male culture. Mm. Like, I was actually re-watching Office Space on a Plane recently, <laughs> interestingly enough, my little single-serving rewatch. <laughs> Office Space is great. Everyone in it is great. Yeah. Um, but it kind of drops the ball in the third act and just becomes mm. that sort of, like, crime caper. Yeah. Uh, and it loses sight of 
kind of what kicked yeah. it off because it starts off in a very similar way to Fight Club. Yeah, and, and The Matrix. And The Matrix. All four of these movies start off with a disaffected mm-hmm. white guy in an in office, an office job. job being miserable. And I think that's very interesting, especially these days when most of us don't even have jobs like that. Like, right. They all had their own cubicles. It looked great. Uh, <laughs> Imagine. I literally never worked in a non-open floor plan. I, I did always... have something approaching a cubicle. Wow. A few times, yeah. so... Fucking princess over Woo! here. Fight Club and The Matrix, I think, are are certainly the better of the four. Office Space is great, but just kind of like doesn't commit to it in the end. It yeah, just... the the solution in Office Space to the like something is wrong is just quit your office job and work with your hands. Yeah, get a get a job that you like more, basically. There's a monologue from Jennifer Aniston in that where she says, like, Peter, nobody likes their job, but we mm-hmm. go in and we do it anyway. Yep. And that isn't an indictment. Like, she is right in, in the eyes of the movie. True. And, I mean, yeah, that is something we all do. It's something we all still do. That doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And I feel like that movie tries to sell that as just like, yeah, man, you got to just power, th- just like, power it, through it and eventually you'll die. Yeah, which uh, is... A little depressing. It's nihilistic in a different way. Yeah. Uh, like, it's unintentionally nihilistic. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, fucking American Beauty. <laughs> There's a lot of problems. There with... are just endless problems with American Beauty. I, I don't think we even can really get into them all right no, now. No, and because... especially, like, I don't want to rewatch it for... So many reasons, like there's the Kevin Spacey of it all. There's the solution in American Beauty to something is wrong is go to fuck your daughter's teenaged friend, but don't because she's a virgin. But otherwise it would have been fine. That is kind of the darkly hilarious thing about that movie is the hero of the movie wants to fuck a 16 year old and almost does. They are making out at the end of that movie. And then he doesn't go through with it because she reveals she's a virgin, which means if she had either A, never revealed it, or B, just not been a virgin, he would have fucked a 16-year-old. And that would have been okay in the eyes of the Is there something we're missing? Like, is there some lair that we're missing? No, I don't think so. Didn't it win Best Fucking Picture? It won Best Picture of the Year. Yeah, everyone talks about, like, Crash and other really bad Best Picture winners, but, like, American Beauty, I don't think gets quite enough shit for being one of the worst Best Picture movies maybe ever. Uh, Not just, I mean, yeah, the politics, obviously, but it's also just... so revealing. It's just sort of like Office Space, but not funny and charming in the way that Office Space is, where it just totally misses the point. It's just like, oh, yeah, this guy's miserable, and he doesn't like his job, and his wife is a bitch, and life sucks. The solution is to buy drugs off a 16-year-old boy, try to fuck a 16-year-old girl, buy a Trans Am, and accuse... Oh, God, I forgot about this part. Jesus. Accuse your boss of sexual abuse. He very clearly has a scene with his boss where he threatens to um, accuse him of offering to give him a blowjob or offering to get a blowjob. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Oh, my God, which... Given who's in the... Well, sure. Jesus Christ. But it's also just like, I don't think that would 
work, first of all, but it's also just horrible for, you know, people who actually have to deal with that and shit. And also, like, maybe there's something we're no, missing. No, I don't think and so. I, yeah. I, it did get a critical reappraisal fairly quickly after, you know, it won Best Picture. Yeah. Everyone loved it. And then I think within, like, five or six years, people were starting people to be like, like, hey, wait a second. Fuck? So it's not like it's held up in high esteem these days. Yeah. Uh, but it could probably be dragged through the mud a little bit more. Because, like, the other three movies are all very good movies. Yeah. Anywhere from very good to masterpieces. Like, The Matrix is a is masterpiece. A, is a masterpiece. Uh, and Fight Club, I think, is probably the best of the four, but The Matrix is fucking it's so good. Great. And, like, yeah, I don't want to pit them against each other because yeah. they're fucking amazing. And they're and different. I'm, yeah, I'm glad they both exist. I don't even know exactly like what my point with this is, but it is kind of fun that these four movies are in four very distinct subgenres. Yeah. Where you have the sort of Oscar bait drama, mm-hmm. you have the ribald comedy, mm-hmm. uh, you have the, you know, sci-fi action epic, and yeah. then you have the, well, how the, would you describe? Psychological thriller. Psychological poppy psychological yeah. thriller almost. Yeah. And I think that's interesting that they Mm -hmm. were very distinct while all covering kind of a similar topic of just like white man hate job. Mm -hmm. Why? And then really diving into that or not in the case of American Beauty. And I think like there is something to office culture, both in the 90s and beyond, did fucking suck. Yeah. Like what these are all sort of grappling with, I'm going to take a sort of Marxist reading, I guess, uh, in, in that they all diagnose this one problem of like you are alienated from the product of your labor. These guys someone should write a book about what, that. <laughs> they do diagnose this problem of like what these guys do is like it, var- it varies from like we don't really know exactly what it is and they don't really know exactly what it is to like kind of actively harmful. Like Ed Norton being the car company guy that is like, oh, we do the math and try and avoid recalls. The office space, it, the whole point is like, what do they even do? So they do actually say exactly what Ron Livingston does. Oh, what does he do? That. He is updating bank code for the oh, 2000 Oh, right. Search, yes. Um, which is alienating in its own way and also puts a end date on his career in a way they never mm. really discuss. That is interesting to think about. The, why didn't he just run out the clock? Well, because he hated his job um, too much, yeah, I, I guess. guess. Yeah, in the case of Ed Norton, like his character is aiding and abetting a massive corporation, basically being okay with their products killing people as long as it didn't hurt the bottom line. Yeah. And so it is an alienation from the means of labor, but also an alienation from his fellow society, people, yeah. from society. And he's getting, you know, he's respectable. He's getting flown around in business mm-hmm. class. He wears a suit. You know, a he has a very high. nice condo. He has a nice condo. Like he's well paid for this. He is a functioning member of society. Mm-hmm. But then he's going and, and, you know, helping this company. Subvert the public good. Yeah. In the aim of profit. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, obviously, that's it's an extraordinarily evil thing that he's doing. So, like, that feels like it's played up a little bit. But, like, it's not out of the realm of, you know, like, Coca-Cola had death squads in fucking Latin America. Yep. So, you know... It's not that out of the realm of of possibility. Is Neo, is he uh, like a software engineer in the Matrix? It's very unclear what exactly Neo does, but it is something to do with software engineering, writing code. Yeah. It's not even really clear what his company does. What they do, yeah. And that's fine. That's kind of the point. Uh, I don't remember what Lester... Lester 
Why do I remember his name? Well, Jesus. because for me, it's because of the succession. Oh, molester. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Makes you think. That's what I mean is like, are we missing something with American Beauty or or Shit. is that just some shitty joke? Like, maybe maybe we need to go back and like, rewatch American gosh. Beauty. Maybe there's a reappraisal of the reappraisal. Oh, my God. No, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, maybe Lester was the villain the whole time in the text of the movie. Maybe. It has been a very long time since I've seen time. it. Mm. I don't know. We'll yeah. put a, we'll sort of put a pin in that, like, yeah. but I don't have high hopes necessarily. Yeah, no, me neither. It's not a super yeah. well-written movie. And I think the, the Matrix does kind of do this. Like, Neo's connection to Trinity is very, very important and only gets more important as the movies go on. But I do find it interesting that the point of Fight Club is that Ed Norton needs Marla and also to connect with men in a more genuine way. Right. Whereas Neo, it's like, oh, he's the one. It is sort of a very individualistic mindset. The point is Neo is the one. Right. That's where it maybe I think Fight Club is a little superior in its messaging where it's like, no, you're not the one. You need to... Saying you are the one is like leads to a lot of problems. We can't make this another Matrix podcast, but like in the sequels, which aren't amazing, but have some great stuff. Yeah. They do sort of address what it means for Neo to be the one and how that can kind of negatively affect his ability to just do his job Mm -hmm. and how people see him, the politics involved in that, Mm -hmm. how some people don't believe it anyway. Like it's just a weird religious cult basically that Morpheus does in. And so it does kind of expand on that, which is great. But yeah, if you're looking at just the Matrix itself, then yeah, you do kind of come away being like, well, I don't know if that's really is that really the it's answer? just this one guy is yeah. going to take them down still yeah. amazing movie oh, amazing, amazing scene that yeah. that final scene i mean we we spent an hour talking yeah. about it yeah it is interesting the different styles of action between the two the very comedic stylings of, of david fincher's action i think the comedy is you know like i said that kind of final showdown mm-hmm. is probably the most comedic yeah uh, a lot the of- confrontation with zach grenier in the office oh too, that's where true he that is starts punching good. himself and for some reason he thought of his first fight with tyler looking back the the movie is not terribly subtle about all this nope. but i don't think it it doesn't need to be and it doesn't want to be and that's fine it's interesting that this came out in 1999 the same year as the sixth sense oh wow I yeah i think these two movies really kicked off the twist ending yeah. i know the sixth sense gets more credit for that or yeah. credit might not be the right word uh but like is held more responsible for that but fight club was almost as influential in kind of being like oh it was one person this whole time yeah. it was actually this guy yep. this whole time mr robot what is nice about this movie is that it does not actually try to be like ooh, he's actually he's got, the, got he's just schizophrenic yeah or whatever like thank god no it's yeah. just like he's fucked up and you know whatever shit's crazy man so many movies took kind of the wrong lesson again and we're just like oh you just need to have a crazy twist and it's like yeah it's a twist but it's also telegraphed throughout the movie it's telegraphed and it is thematically resonant that's the thing it is funny i do remember i interviewed rami malik and christian slater at the tail end of season one of mr robot Uh, i was working at tv guy And it was this weird thing where, like, I hadn't seen the episode in which it's revealed that Christian Slater is a figment, uh, or, you know, he's the memory of his dad or whatever. Can you hear me rolling my eyes? I... (laughs) 
the reason we were writing the story and doing the interview was because of that episode, but I wasn't allowed to watch it. (laughs) The episode would appear, would be airing in that week that the magazine was on stands, but we couldn't spoil anything. (laughs) Just one of the more insane interviews that I've had to conduct. I was like, wait, so is this like a, is it a fight club thing? Is that why we're doing this? And poor Rami Malek and Christian Slater had to act their asses off on the phone. Well, that's their job. Being like, no, 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 it's not a Fight Club thing. And like, it was... It was, it was a Fight it was Club a fight thing. Club thing. Like, I do remember people after that episode came out, that season ended, people being like, so it's Fight Club? Like, yeah, and there, there was a lot of bristling yeah. uh, about that. And it's like, I mean, it's... Oh, you can acknowledge an homage. It's fine. Like, I mean, it was a whole season. It was, was a whole season homage. that maybe... I watched the first season and I didn't watch any others after that. So I'll just let that sit there. <laughs> Speak for... Yeah. You know, it is interesting to think about the effect that Fight Club had on the culture in ways that are mostly bad, unfortunately. It's such a great movie and such an indictment of toxic masculinity. And yet we think, we can't know for sure because there's simply no way of even Googling this. We probably could if we wanted to, but the using snowflake as a... This is pejorative yeah. of like the weak, liberal, kind of unmasculine, feminized man. Yeah, they use snowflake in here and I'm sure that's not the first time that was used. Anyone has, but it feels like that may be the vehicle by which it reached kind of mass adoption by mostly shitty people. There's such a dark irony to both The Matrix and Fight Club being used for evil in their iconography, like obviously the red pill in The Matrix and the snowflake and just sort of Fight Club. General general. Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden. Oh God. I mean, how many, you know, tattoos. Oh my God. They all wanted to be Tyler Durden. Everyone wanted to be Tyler Durden. And like, it's one of those things where the movie like The Matrix, was a little too successful at making them look mm-hmm. cool. Tyler Durden looks cool. You hire Brad Pitt and you get Brad Pitt. Yep. That's a hard... <laughs> That's hard to overcome, even if you're not that subtle about what you're trying to say. And at times, I think Fight Club might almost be too subtle for most people. Yeah. Uh, because you've got Brad Pitt there just being cool as shit. He's so Wearing a cool. red leather jacket you know, and his you, cool he sunglasses. Has the, he has the cum gutters. <laughs> I mean, he's looking, he's just looking cut as fuck. So it's, I am disappointed, but I get it. The red pill becoming the symbol of the men's rights coterie, I guess. And they all want to be Tyler Durden. They all really, really agree with Tyler Durden being like, I'm going to have you climbing the kudzu like that's on the Sears Tower and you'll wear one pair of clothes for the rest of your life and you'll be hunting elk and like all this other shit that is like... You know, it's kind of manifested itself these days as like the return the, Yeah. And, you know, we paleo. have... Paleo. diet. We have to go back, like back to the mm-hmm. land. It's all the, the, tied the in. The re- beef only freaks. Yeah, eating only raw eating meat. Raw meat and eating raw like, meat, eating only beef, like just... Being um, this like uber mensch basically of like i am the symbol of masculinity and it's like no you're not man no (laughs) it is interesting a lot of the like this emphasis on natural and pinning that against modernity basically and it is interesting to see that in female circles as well is is the the all natural shit you know your essential oils your you know eat this to 
No toxins. No Get toxins. the toxins put, out. Put this little jade egg up here. Hoo-ha. Like, eat this and it'll cleanse your shit. For women, it's wellness. Yeah. And for men, it's strength, I think. Ooh. Yeah, this whole thing smacks of gender. Doesn't it, though? Right? Like, no, that's actually a really good summation of it. It's mm-hmm. it's wellness and strength. And above both of those is purity. Purity. It's and pure and natural. Purity. Very binary, too. Mm-hmm. There's no room in that kind of mindset for trans people. Or just kind of general queerness. Like, yeah. just anyone who's on any sort of a little bit of a spectrum of, of either gender yeah. or I'm not know, allowed to, like, think Kira Knightley has a, a really graceful neck. <laughs> and I'm not allowed to admire Brad Pitt's cum gutters. We're just not meant for this world. <laughs> Like constructing this prison for yourself. I enjoy that Fight Club is like, do not construct this prison for yourself. It will lead you to make very bad choices. Right. So Fight Club. It's great. Oh, we didn't talk about Marla. Well, so uh, what I was thinking was, before we wrap up, we do some little odds and ends because oh, like, yeah. like we There's said- There's a lot at, of odds and ends. Like we said at the beginning, there's just so many things to talk about in this movie. But yeah, you had a very interesting point about Marla that I had never picked up on. And well, and I had never- Never thought of it before. Yeah. So Marla, I, I don't think she is the actual er manic pixie dream girl. I'm sure that there have been other characters in movies before this that like at least toe the line. She does kind of feel like she is the one who propelled that archetype into being. So Marla herself is not a manic pixie dream girl. She is the kind of edgelord goth. She's like big titty goth girlfriend almost she is she's kooky and she's like kind of dangerous and weird and very yeah so she's so caustic very gen x very gen x but she's got the crazy hair and the big eyes and cigarettes all the time she you know talks about being bound by electrical tape uh i haven't been fucked like that since grade school and it's all meant to shock um so she's she's very kooky and quirky in a in a very dark way but i do think that people took her and then just sanitized the shit out of her if you run marla through the washing machine with a bunch of bleach, you end up with Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> Which is funny to think about. Like, she just comes out all nice and squeaky clean, yeah. and, and you can stick her in 500 Days of Summer. Scott that, Pilgrim that is, wasn't, is Mary so, Elizabeth Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kirsten well, Dunst for a minute, and yeah, like Elizabeth Also, um, poor Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman got and roped State. in. Yep. It felt like a rite of passage there in like the mid to late 2000s where all young actresses, young actresses just, just had, had to, to do, do that. At least for at least one movie. Yeah. One of the fun ironies, unlike the return people and all yeah, the right wing creeps who co-opted this movie. Like it's sort of a funny little like haha. Huh. You can see the roots of this archetype in yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, Marla is the kind of knotted root from which mm-hmm. the the beautiful little flowers sprang. <laughs> uh and like it did get sanitized as a way for like She's just kooky and weird, yeah. and she's going to have you listen she's, to the shins. Yeah, she's not going to talk about, you know, how she hasn't been fucked like that since grade school. Then she's going to do a silly little dance in the middle oh of my nowhere. God, so many fucking silly little dances. She's going to wear a sundress for sure. <sighs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Look, I was into I Zoe Deschanel in, in that era. I think everyone does. She's beautiful and charming. Very like, charming. How could Ad- you not be? She's adorable. <laughs> I murdered him. Sorry, I'm listeners. Steve is dead. I killed him. I'm admitting it, and I don't think 
any of you all will blame me. This is all the evidence. You'll never be tried. They'll, no. they'll listen to this and be like, yeah, fair Yeah, enough. okay, that's fine. Next little tidbit. I do kind of wonder how much influence this movie had on Adam McKay because yeah. there's some of it that it, like you're like, oh, I can see this having an influence on the big short in particular. Yeah, this, you know, kind of fourth wall breaking narration, playing with what's real and what isn't and like how the characters address the audience. Like when Ed Norton is talking about what Tyler Durden does and mm-hmm. you get like the inserts of the porn and everything, it's, you know, very meta. And the big short is very much like that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's light club. <laughs> it's just, Christ. it's light fight club uh, <laughs> where like he borrows some of those techniques and that's fine to do that. It's, I don't think he's like, yeah, no, anything. I mean, that's the point of like, Filmmaking yeah. is like you always look and see what other great things yeah. people are doing. But I would be curious to to hear if Adam McKay did kind of was he a fan of Fight Club? Uh, I'm sure, right? You know, I actually I like The Big Short. Um, I think I it was it was one of my kind of comfort movies yeah. for a while. It's a solid. I think it's still a pretty good comfort movie. Yeah, which is kind of why like the Fincher movies are are a comfort movie. So I think it's not a coincidence. Yeah, that- it's fun to see how uh, David Fincher's style has evolved, where he's become much more slow and deliberate in mm. his pacing. And I believe he came from uh, music videos and commercials. Always. And you can really feel that in his earlier work, like mm-hmm. The Game, Fight Club, Seven, Panic even. Room, Panic Seven. Room. They're flashy, like in ways that yeah. work. It's not like yeah, they're not, ostentatious. They're not distracting, yeah. but there is a lot of production happening. And then he seems to kind of calm down and let things play out a little bit more. And you really see that with like Zodiac and the social network Mm -hmm. is when... Even Gone Girl, I think. Well, Gone Girl, I think, came after those two. And yeah, by Gone Girl times, like he really had the pace down Mm -hmm. and that was much less frenetic and yet still purposeful and you didn't feel bored. Like, no, I'd watch... Zodiac again right now. Yeah. Maybe the slowest paced of all his films. Yeah, and but it's yet, so gripping. Uh, it's so good. It might still be my favorite Fincher movie. It's tough. I could I, I could, think it is. I could fuck with that. I think Social Network was for a long time, but I think having rewatched Zodiac several times mm-hmm. now, I think that has usurped it. We're not alone, is what's kind of funny, is yeah. like there's a group of people who really love who will just put Zodiac on. I'm not one of these people, but I know a couple of people who put Mindhunter on uh, as sort of comfort television. And I loved Mindhunter season one. Season two was fine, but uh, season one is like really good. Uh, Bill Tench. Bill Tench. He's in Fight Club. Holt McAllany. He's like the kind of mechanic who also gets shot along with meatloaf but he gets shot in the leg or something he's in there he's uh, great he's i like great. i like to think he he played the long game and Just, then ended up getting cast in mindhunter i'll have a bit part in this guy's movie in 1999 and 15 years <laughs> later i'll be cast in a prestige show on a streaming channel okay. like what's streaming you'll you'll see you'll see it's fine it's fine uh but yeah he's great yeah you know, so solid, many solid cast so many great people in this and also Jared Leto he's there too he's there too but yeah he's not even that bad in this he's he fine. can't be it's impossible I actually like could not reconcile this was my first exposure to Jared Leto hmm. which in hindsight is kind of weird phrasing yeah. uh, given <laughs> yeah. given what's happening with him I still can't reconcile like his face in fight club even pre ass kicking with Jared Leto today hmm. does not compute as the same person at all. I guess maybe the, the he you know he's 
wildly blonde in this and that's throwing me completely because it it's, it's be. his eyebrows too yeah no he looks weird i think my first exposure my sisters were fans of my, my so-called, so-called life, life. yeah so i was aware of him even though i didn't really watch that show this was a time when if the show was on you were watching you were, it that's it you had nothing else. You were lucky to, to have it. was it Fox or the WB? My so-called life was ABC. Oh, it was ABC. Ninety five percent. No, sure. I, you're right because I'm like one of the guys involved went on to Alias. I want to say that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, no, we had CBS, ABC, usually NBC. Uh, and PBS, mm. and it, you know, depending on the weather. Yeah. But ABC was, was very consistent. It was mm-hmm. almost as consistent as CBS in terms of signal. It's funny. CBS was our, like, eh, are we going to get this tonight? Interesting. Yeah, that had the strongest signal. We could always get that, which was a bummer because that was the one I wanted the least. Yeah. I wonder how many people are listening or like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> oh, no. Like, no. Yeah, we've really dated ourselves Antenna. Here. One other thing about men, a lot of the men in this movie, and it really hit me as soon as we press play basically and we're in the in the support group section of the movie I was like oh my god I've heard all of these stories before like when I was out going around the country going to the geographic center of each state and I would go into a bar or or whatever place of business restaurant the divorced middle-aged white men would just like a moth to a flame. To a little brown flame. <laughs> to a little brown flame. They would just find me and just vomit their life stories onto me and their their sadness and... Their isolation. Their isolation and, you know, the fact that they can't talk to anyone else in their life. Like, it was like, oh my God, this is still... Ha- the, like, this. we knew this was a problem yeah. back in 1999 and probably before. Well before that, But, yeah. boy... We're still going. Okay. Yeah, right. we're still this just is great. <laughs> admising ourselves. Turning out great. Recognizing that it is okay to talk to other people and you will still be a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, your masculinity will remain intact even if you share your feelings. And cry. And cry and hug another man's big titties. Mm-hmm. You will still you be a man and you will be whole for it. Yep. No, we didn't actually do that. We made things much, much worse. Much worse. Yep. And it all turned out great. No bad, no ill effects it's from that. It's all fine. Everything was fine. Something is no longer wrong. Yeah, we fixed it all. That's the main conclusion of these four movies, and Fight Club in particular, is we solved We've, it. It's we done. We fixed it. Hooray, society's good now. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>